Welcome to Tectotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Greg Mark of Mark Forge. He 3D prints metal. This is Tectotopia. Technotopia is brought to you by Typewriter. Typewriter is your on-demand editor, and their amazing team of writers will make your book chapter, blog post, or email shine. Typewriter editors come from places like TechCrunch, Gizmodo, and the New York Times, and they offer low bulk rates for longer work. Check it out at typewriter.plus. That's typewriter.plus. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Tectotopia, a podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Greg Mark. He's the CEO and founder of MarkForge. Uh, this is one of my favorite companies. Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's uh, great to be here. Yeah. So, so I've been following you for years, it seems now, and you're essentially building uh, carbon fiber 3D prints, and now you're microwaving metal. Are, are these things safe? Uh, they're very safe. So the, uh, <laughs> you know, and that's... That's uh, one of the key things. Like we, uh, we do a funny thing. If you look at the composite side, we take material, which is carbon fiber, which you don't in raw form want to touch, and then we encase it in plastic, mm-hmm. to, which makes it printable, but it also makes it safe to handle. So you can run it in an office, and we have you know, 100 of them running in our office, uh, which, is, which is how you make it safe. And we do the exact same thing for the metal. We take this metal powder, which by itself is flammable and, and potentially toxic, and we encase it, we bind it in plastic, which makes it now safe to handle. So it's like, so basically, what you're doing is you're for the for the 3D for the uh, for the carbon fiber, you extrude a sort of a carbon fiber string. Is that right? Yeah. So it has so it's continuous strands of carbon fiber. Fiber. So you know, you start with like miles and miles long of, of thousands of strands of carbon fiber, and then you you encase that in plastic, and you put plastic through the entire thing. And when you print, it prints like a normal FDM printer on one head, and the second head comes down. And it reinforces the part kind of by kind of uh, embedding and melting this continuous strand carbon fiber into the plastic. It's it's best to think about it like a, a rebar in a concrete. Okay, so like uh, so you, you you lay down the, the softer material, but inside is the is the reinforcement. So why don't you tell us the story of uh, Mark Forge? So you were originally in a, in the you were doing race cars. Yeah. So okay, uh, rewind back. I was actually just at MIT uh, yesterday meeting with a. Uh, Dean of Students, Ian Waits, who used to be an aerospace professor. I did an undergrad and master's there in aerospace. And then I met uh, Alex Darbaloff, who uh, founded Teradyne, a uh, brilliant person, became a mentor. I uh, joined one of his startups. We made power connectors, like crazy amounts of power through a tiny socket for, uh, you know, for high-end uh, uh, you know, data center applications. Okay. Sold that in 2008. Started the racing business. Made computer-controlled race car wings. Uh, all carbon fiber, which is where I learned about composites. Uh, did a stint in solar, we made off-grid solar, solar power uh, charge controllers. And when I was making those charge controllers, it's the first time I, uh, I used a 3D printer. Okay, I mean, I went to MIT and I never used a 3D printer, mm-hmm. right? 2008 is the first time I used a printer, and uh, it just totally blew my mind, right? The fact that you could take this thing directly from CAD and print it out, even ABS plastic, and have a real part that you could use. And, you know, we, we, uh, you know I talked to a customer on a Friday, okay, at, in the Navy, he described what he wanted. I came back to Boston, CAD this thing up, SolidWorks, uh, hit print, bolt the charge controller down to it, pot it, paint it black, send it down the next Friday. A week after he tells me what he wants, he has a functional prototype he can test. Just mm-hmm. blew my mind. And I looked at that and thought, hey, look, if you put, because uh, I came from the racing business, if we put carbon fiber in this plastic, it'd be, t- it'd be stronger than metal. 
right? And that's where this business came from. Okay, so so the the prints that you make. So I, I have a three D printer at home, but this is nothing like my three D printer, right? So you have so uh, you probably have a plastic FDM printer. Yep. Okay, so we have so we have two nozzles. We have uh, we have that same FDM nozzle, which we use to do a cool honeycomb infill and and a nice uh, edge around the outside of the part. But we have a second nozzle which we invented, which which basically embeds continuous strands of carbon fiber, a much thinner filament, in the middle of the plastic, making it ten times stronger. So it's as like a spider web, almost like a spider web spinner, they just kind of puts a, this this heavy material inside. Exactly. Okay. You got it. So the the objects that I've seen of yours are are massively strong. So that you, you I think you bring hammers and stuff around to show us. So what are these uh, what are these metal parts that you're making? Okay, so after uh, so the the composites business uh, the composites business is doing very well, uh, and people are substantially using the parts and tools and fixtures. And then uh, you know, but we've been doing this for the past four years. And the 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 place where you can't use composites are in high temperature applications and things that require high surface hardness. Okay, so what we did is we looked at this. You know, we surveyed the the landscape of like the six different ways you can print metal, and we found one that was. Uh, you know, partial was like uh, unexplored, and uh, we took we took basically two ideas that were kind of little known, which were three D printing at the time, and this thing metal injection molding. Uh, and we found that this metal injection molding powder encased in plastic was exactly like our chopped carbon, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, so we started experimenting with this stuff and started printing it, and lo and behold, uh, it worked beautifully, right? So now uh, now it's it's the it's the same idea of high strength same day parts. Uh, at a reasonable cost, but just now we have a whole nether vector on the materials, right? So it prints, it prints uh, just like this, you know, reinforced plastic, but then you put it into an oven, burn off the plastic, uh, and then bring the metal to it, 90% of its melting temperature, and the whole thing shrinks 20% and turns into a fully solid metal part. Okay, so that's crazy. The, and then right now, the, the big news that you just announced that you guys are microwaving these parts. Exactly. So there's, yeah, it's, uh, it's wild. So there's, there's uh, two ways to, you know, to consolidate these parts. The traditional way, that, you know, in industry is to thermally heat it, right? And people have been uh, thermally sintering parts for, you know, many, many, many years. About 15 years ago, uh, the academics in this industry figured out, hey, look, we can uh, put these things in a microwave. But the microwave is kind of a, a smaller scale process. And, and in a metal injection molding, they're really designed for production. Okay, so these ovens are huge. Huge ovens doing, you know, hip implants, all sorts of medical parts, keeping up with an injection molding machine. So they, uh, so they didn't really spend much time exploring the microwave aside from a bunch of academic papers. So we, we looked at that and thought, hey, look, for production, the microwave might not be great. But for rapid prototyping, which mm-hmm. is exactly the industry that we're in, it's phenomenal. So we're now, uh, you know, so we've kind of bifurcated our line to the production system, which uses these, you know, th- you know traditional thermal ovens. They have all the certifications. People know how to use them, work perfectly. And then we said, look, on the prototyping line, we're going to spool up this high-speed microwave. We're making parts now in 90 minutes instead of uh, 14 hours. Okay. So we're talking about, we're talking about uh, I guess you could say, the, the uh, rapid prototyping parts. Can these parts be used in actual things? Is, is this the future of manufacturing? Can I send you a uh, print or can you send me a, a model and I can print this thing in my basement to fix my lawnmower? Okay, so that's the magic of this. Okay. Uh, we, it is a one-to-one replacement for a cast part. So you take a part that's cast out of, uh, cast out of steel, we print it with the exact same steel you know, on, our, you know, on our plastic process, 
you put it in the sintering oven, you get the exact same part, right? And that's that's kind of been the dream for 3D printing, right? It's got to be a you know you know you have all these companies that are that are trying to bring new products to market, and then companies that are trying to support you know fleets of you know 50 year old uh, industrial equipment. So you always need to make these uh, these parts that are exactly the same as a cast part, right? And in our composite, we make a part that's better than the cast part, but it's different, right? So on the metal side, we said, okay, uh, you know, based on what a, a lot of the industry needs, instead of making something that's better, they want a one-to-one replacement. And that's exactly what this is. It gives you the same density, the same strength. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, since you have a 3D printer, you'll be familiar with, when you print a part, it's usually stronger in the XY axis than the Z axis. Mm-hmm. In this process, you don't have that problem. So you print this thing, and when you print, when you form the shape, in plastic, it's it's still stronger X Y than Z. When you put it in the sintering oven, the the metal crystals grow through the Z axis, giving you that that strength. So now the part is isotropically strong. It's it's brilliant. So it's uh, so so the way three D printers work right now, you basically do print out layers. Exactly. So, so I could it's difficult to smash it, but I could crack it and I could crack it on the on the axis as you said. Uh, the axis parallel to the floor, I guess you could say, as it's being printed, because those those pieces aren't connected per se. So yeah, so it's it's exactly it's okay. The exact analogy is an injection molding. When you okay. injection mold a part, you shoot the plastic in. If it flows around like a you know an insert, a core, or you know a little core piece, mm-hmm. uh, where the plastic melts, come back together and touch, is what's called a knit line or a cold weld. Okay, that's always the weakest part of a part. When you three D print, every layer is a knit line. It's half as strong oh, as the X and Y, right? So because you're, bring, you're basically putting plastic on a cold plastic front, right? So we have, when we do the first part of the process in metal, we still have that cold knit line. But when you bring it into the sintering oven, uh, it, it, it vanishes because the, uh, the metal spheres on one layer grow into the metal spheres on the layer below mm-hmm. inherently. It, it's, it's beautiful. Okay, so when am I going to have this in my house? Am I ever going to have this in my house? Or is it, who's going to have this that, that's going to allow me to print that part for my lawnmower? Okay, so there's, there's different, uh, there's different uh, scenarios for the future. Sure. So option A, uh, you know, we, the, what will absolutely happen is uh, print farms, right? So you'll, uh, instead of going down to Home Depot where they stocked, you know, where they may have stocked every part for your lawnmower, Home Depot now has a distribution service that has all these CAD files and, they, and you say, hey, I need this part. They print it for you on demand, throw it in the microwave, and now you have your part, right? It's like, so we view it like AWS, right? You, you may want to run a print. So if you're, if you're super into 3D printing, yeah, it will scale down to the point that you can have one in your house. Uh, if, you're, if you just want the part and you don't want to run the printer, think AWS, right? And because that way, now instead of having to run the printer, own the printer, stock all the different metals, et cetera, you just or like they'll have thousands of metals. I mean, we can there's already about you know uh, 500 metals that we can run through this process, mm-hmm. right? So let's say your lawnmower has an aluminum part, has a steel part, has you know a nickel part, blah, 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 has a copper part. You can just you know pick from the drop down; it'll give you that exact part. Okay, very interesting. So in terms of manufacturing, is this the is this the way forward for manufacturing? Is this an interstitial technology? Uh, why aren't, I mean, why aren't more people, why aren't more industries using this? Okay, great question. So this, the analogy goes back to 2D printing. Okay, so 2D printing, when you think about production 2D printing, you think, you, you look historically, you have offset printing, mm-hmm. right? You make the UK. And then digital printing comes along. And what happens is the, the number of units 
over which you so so when digital printing comes along, if you want one of something, you're definitely going to digitally print it, right? And then if you want ten of something, you'll digitally print it. And then as the as the uh, technology progressed, it became one thousand, ten thousand, fifty thousand. So the line where you switch from digital to offset goes up every year, right? It's the exact same thing for 3D printing. If you want one of something right now, mm -hmm. you may print it on a million dollar metal machine, right? Or you'll CNC it on a hundred thousand dollar CNC. If you look out like uh, one or two years down the road, you will be printing, if you want, you know, a thousand or two thousand or something, you'll be printing it on, you'll be making it on a 3D, uh, one of our metal 3D printers because it's just much more cost effective. Because essentially, you know, what, what, is ha what, uh, what the new Atom process enables is it takes this uh, technology per printer down from a million dollars a printer to a thousand dollars a printer, right? And so we're currently, uh, we're currently at the hundred thousand dollar price point on the industrial printers. As we scale this to this uh, blade and server architecture, you're going to be looking at $1,000 per socket. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's how you bring the cost down that enables this mass production. So the only, the only mass produ production you're going to do is for when you need a million, million things or something. Exactly. So, so you look at, uh, so like right now, uh, when, the, when the Atom printer ships in September, customers who, and companies who buy it, if they're going to make 20 or something, they're going to print it. 100 or something, they'll print it. When the cost-reduced versions come out, They'll be printing. They'll be printing up to you know one thousand, five thousand, ten thousand, fifty thousand, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, right? And every year that line will go up. If you're making uh, ten million or something, you're going to injection mold it, mm -hmm. right? It's just that that switchover point will always exist. It'll just keep going up over time. Is the is the world moving towards the ability to the, towards the desire to print more and injection mold less? Is that is that a trend? Is that happening? Okay, so we, we see it absolutely happening for metal, right? So, okay, when you look at injection molding, uh, injection molding is fast. Injection molding of plastic is super fast. Mm -hmm. You look at cycle times where, like, a part, a part happens in, you know, like, uh, 5 to 15 seconds, and then you have, you know, per cycle, and then you have, you know, uh, 16 or 32 cavities in the mold. So you're getting parts out in a fraction of a second, which is extremely hard to compete with. If you look at uh, casting, you have a much longer cycle time and much more expensive mold, and if you look at CNC machining, the cycle time is measured in like minutes per operation. So really, like uh, the 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 uh, 3D printing will replace injection molding at a lower volume. So if you want to make 100 parts or 200 parts or 300 mm -hmm. parts on injection molding, you'll 3D print it. Okay. For this casting, that that number will like 10x because the process is much more expensive traditionally. Mm -hmm. Okay, fascinating. So what is what is your world look like uh, in twenty years? What is what what are you still going to be doing three D printing? It sounds like it sounds like you've jumped from from thing to thing over the past uh, over the past decade. So is is this still a thing that you're going to be into? Is it still going to be a thing that that you can uh, innovate in? It's interesting. It's uh, I can tell you that uh, the amount of stuff. So this is our second new process. Uh, we're nowhere near done with new processes, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So, uh, but it's, it's, uh, I can tell you at least 10 years from now, you, you know, you look at computers, the pace of acceleration now in 3D printing is insane, right? I mean, technology, like manufacturing has been the same for 50 years, plus minus a little bit of change, right? This is just a radically new way to, uh, to make parts. And it's not, uh, it's not that 3D printing is new, it's that cost effective 3D printing is new. Mm -hmm. And that's the breakthrough in order to drive adoption, right? It's always, it's always a function of performance and cost compared to the incumbent. Right, so now with this uh, with this atom process, we have the one to one performance for the injection for the cast part, and we have the cost up to like you know in the thousands to tens of thousands of units, right? So uh, and you look, you know, you say ten years out, 
literally, uh, you know, what's the, no what's the most number of metal printers you've ever seen in one room? Uh, I've seen zero metal printers in one room, I think. Okay, I've... Oh, I've no, well, been, hold on. I've, I've, I think I've been to your shop, so maybe I've seen some, but I didn't know. Yeah, well, you... Uh, well, <laughs> the, uh, the most metal printers I've seen at the largest uh, industrial company I've ever been to in one room is five. Wow. Right? So you're going to... You talk about 20 years from now, it's, it's AWS. You're going to look at a warehouse next to, uh, next to FedEx or UPS, and they're going to have hundreds of thousands of printers in racks printing out metal parts mm -hmm. uh, you know, in unison. Right, and then these parts will it's just and these parts will be you know fulfilling the supply chain needs of like thousands of companies all over the world, right? And then like we talked about uh, you know in your article, it's not just you know it's not just that we're gonna we're gonna revolutionize manufacturing for you know the Fortune 100. It's literally you democratize the ability to make metal parts. So you're gonna have some like brilliant 14 year old, and she's gonna come up with an idea. She's gonna CAD that thing, uh, you know, design it on the computer. Uh, ordered over AWS, and then she's going to have that part. So instead of having to like, uh, you know, find a machine shop, get a quote, you know, pay the like uh, expensive machine shop rates, she's just going to have it printed. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So we're going to have AWS of uh, of three D prints. Absolutely, and it's going to. And what it's going to do is it's going to enable hardware to move closer to the speed of software. Right. That's 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 what's going to happen. Like the software has gone through, you know. People have been writing software for 70 years, mm -hmm. right? But, that, but if you look at software, software developers have built themselves increasingly good tools. It's like Moore's Law, mm -hmm. right? It's like the faster chip designs the faster chip, so it's you know, even faster. Software developers have been designing better and better software and, and, uh, and tools like AWS to spool software up faster. And this is, this is the mechanical engineering version of that, right? So you have now a bunch of mechanical engineers and actually... You know, half our team is software, and they're you know brilliant software engineers, um, and they're you know, we're we're sitting here designing uh, these tools to make mechanical engineering much more efficient, mm -hmm. and that's the kind of breakthrough mechanical engineering has been waiting for. Yeah, that's actually that's actually fairly true. Like I've I've been watching, uh, I haven't programmed in about oh gosh like twenty years now, or so. When I, after I graduated uh, in information systems, but I didn't program for a long time, and I've only programmed in PHP. I would do basically just like flat scripts that just worked. And uh, now that I'm getting into all these new new technologies, we've got we've gotten to a point where you can you can uh, spin up a new server, install an instance of a of a program, and just run it in seconds. Uh, oddly, so it's so it seems like that's that's where we're all headed, right? No, so that's exactly it. And so what it is, it's funny. Uh, I spent you know 15 years in hardware. Yep. Okay. And when I when I think about where hardware should go, I look no farther than our software team. Okay, like the, the workflows they have, the tools they have, the things they've developed in order to, you know, in the last 10 or 15 years to make software more productive is just brilliant. And so, quite honestly, we're just copying it, right? Like, uh, we're just, we're saying, you know, how do we enhance the tools? You know, they laugh at us when, uh, I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. When we started, uh, we started making the composite parts and we were doing dimensional analysis on these things. We're measuring them with, with micrometers and like typing into Excel spreadsheet. And they looked at us and they're like, this is how you monkeys do stuff. <laughs> like you don't have like uh, some sort of an automated feedback loop that like automatically tests this stuff and runs the numbers that you could run like uh, algorithms against. Yep. And I was like, uh, yes, build me that, please. <laughs> so that, that's literally how we ended up with the laser micrometer on the Mark X. We were, I was having the software team do uh, dimensional accuracy. And when we showed them how to use calipers, they just started laughing. Mm -hmm. right? They were like, there has to be some sort of a sensor that we can put on here to give us hyper accurate feedback. 
and we can automatically run this on every part we ever make and iterate like you know intelligently, right? So that's what we did. We we bought a laser micrometer. It's literally uh, designed to measure runout in hard disk drives. It's like got one micron z-axis resolution. It's brilliant. Mm -hmm. Okay, we stick this thing on the Mark X printer, and it runs around and scans the part. You get dimensional analysis on everything. So every time you print a part, they're running scripts on those things, right? So we have this entire software backend that looks at you know how the machine's running, how with dimensional accuracy is the is the frame growing in like uh, through the temperature range of the building. It's just it's just uh, there's this huge layer of software that makes the hardware look really good. Hmm. All right, very cool. So so when am I going to have a metal three D printer in my basement? Is that ever going to happen? It's absolutely. It's uh, so. Here's the thing. If you're the kind of person who uh, who has like a little lathe in your basement, yep. I mean, if you if you're the kind of guy who would buy like a watchmaker's lathe, yep. you will absolutely have a metal printer in your basement, right? And you're probably looking at like uh, two years out. Is it, so? It's uh, would I have a Mark Forge or would I have something else? You will absolutely have a Mark Forge. I mean, do you? The question <laughs> is, do you want the best one? Uh, yeah, I think I think I want the best one. I'll uh, I got a I got a good uh, I got a good plastic 3D printer, but let's uh, let's get some some good uh, metal 3D printers in here. It's it's uh it's gonna be wild. And you know, you mentioned you know what's what how old are your kids? Uh five, eight, and eleven. Okay, so when the eleven year old's uh probably about a few years away from the point where uh 3D printing is in the cards. Yeah. Well they they're they're into it now. They kinda understand it. Like I'm my youngest really gets a kick out of it, so I've been printing him uh like Star Wars toys. Yeah. So I so I, I print that stuff out and he runs around with them and it's fun because if he breaks one I can just print another one. And we can just recycle the the old one, so it's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. But then, but uh, when you start uh, when you start printing, John, there's uh, something crazy about printing metal parts. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, you hold this thing in your hand, it has the density of stainless steel, mm -hmm. and it blows your mind. All right. Right. Like you know, you've just forged metal in your basement, and it's totally crazy. <laughs> Very cool. So, Greg, thanks for joining us on Technotopia. This is a this is a fun topic. I would like to um, l let me know when the uh, when the the commercial one or the the home the home unit ships, and we'll 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 center everything in my microwave. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> right. Don't tell your wife that I told you to do it. <laughs> oh, absolutely no. I'll just I'll just uh, I'll I'll take out that glass plate. Right. That's all I have to do. Yeah. So plus minus a few other things. You can uh, be there soon. <laughs> <laughs> all right, sounds good. Uh, this has been Technotopia. I'm John Biggs.